Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. All right, if you look at your notes there, we're going to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 for our first set of verses. Tonight's class is on integrity, a holy man's secret. Integrity, a holy man's secret. You know, if you think about this, wow. If you go back, and, and I'm thinking back into my 20s and 30s, even into my 40s, you know, stuff happening today in our society, in our government, are you kidding me? In America, in America's government, in our world, etc. I mean, I never would have dreamed of seeing some of the stuff that we're seeing happening today. How about in the church? How about even in the church, you know? I mean, the, the, the context of uh, the Methodists now, willing to ordain homosexuals and put them in the pulpit. I mean, you think about just the Methodist movement itself. Who started the Methodist movement? Who knows? John Wesley did. Anybody know how great a man of God that was? How incredible that man of God was. I mean, he was a Holy Ghost anointed, powerful man of God. He is the one that began the Methodist movement. Look where it is today. Look where it is today. I'm going to tell you a big reason why we have so many problems today. A lack of integrity. Lack of true integrity. I was talking to my dad about this. Even just simple stuff. Like trying to get this fence fixed out here. Trying to get work done. I mean, it's amazing how many people will tell you stuff and then they can't even do what they tell you. Over and over and over again, we see a lack of integrity. Well, I'll guarantee you what, integrity for the believers you're going to see in the Bible will truly help you and me as a part of what's acknowledged in Scripture to live a holy life. It is a holy man's secret to live a life of integrity. Let's look at the definition first of all. The, the context of the definition of integrity is the character quality of being complete. Think about that statement. The character quality... Of being complete, having wholeness, entirety, perfecting conditioning, sound and moral principle, uprightness, honesty, humility, and sincerity. Man, could we make a sermon just out of that one statement? The character quality of being what? Complete. That I'm not incomplete. If I walk as a man of integrity, woman of integrity, I walk in the completeness of what my God has for me. Having wholeness, entirety, perfect conditioning, perfect conditioning. If you don't understand that, that means dealing with yourself. A person of integrity deals with themselves. Sound and moral principle, sound and moral principle, uprightness, honesty, humility. You know, one of the, I, of all these and sincerity, of all those, those character traits and, and what is a definition of integrity, you know the one that I see lacking the most in the body of Christ? What, do you, what would you, out of all those definitions, say, in your view, is lacking the most in the body of Christ in these last days? Humility. Humility. Now, I'm going to tell you why. What's the sign of true humility? You're still willing to be taught. You're still willing to be taught, learn, develop, grow, correct, change, etc. But you know, today, man, we're seeing so many believers, so many Christians who once were humble, willing to be taught, wanted to be, right? Came into the kingdom not really knowing a lot, either born again, coming into a good church, or getting born again in a good church, starting to learn, starting to develop, growing, seeing change, seeing development. I mean, I can't even tell you in going on 33 years of pastor how many people I've saw this happen to going through this church. And I don't mean everybody that came and left is not walking in integrity. I don't mean that by any means. Many still have integrity, thank God. But I'm talking about many who got to the point. I can only speak for ones that I pastor in this church who lost humility. You couldn't teach them anymore. You, to, to, to teach them, you couldn't correct them. You couldn't show them something in Scripture, black and white, and them accept it anymore. Now, all of a sudden, well, I don't, I don't see it that way any, anymore, anyway. I don't see it that way anymore, Pastor. What do you mean you don't see it that way anymore? The Bible didn't change. Somebody did. Now, I'll guarantee you, I'm not talking about stuff that's gray area of Scripture. We're talking about black and white. 
and now all of a sudden you don't see it that way anymore? I'm going to tell you why. You've slipped into in the context of losing some of your integrity because you're no longer humble enough to be taught the Word of God. Now, I promise you this, man. I, I, every great man of God I've ever learned from, studied from, learned, uh, leaned on, gleaned from, you know, the truth is true humility means I don't want you to see me. But I want you to understand I need to know who I am, but I don't want to lift myself above who God says I am. And think now all of a sudden I don't need teaching anymore. So let's use an illustration of dealing with or looking at what we're talking about with integrity being a holy man's secret. Example, draw a line with your foot. If you draw a line with your foot and on one side of the line represents the kingdom of God, the other side represents the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we draw a line. One side's the kingdom, one side's everything that's of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Some will balance themselves on the line. They'll balance themselves. They'll put their feet. They'll balance themselves on the line, justifying their salvation by the fact that their feet are on the right side of the line, even though most of their body is over in the line in line in the world. Over the line in the world. Even though their most of their body is over the line in the world. Well, I've accepted Christ. That's their feet thinking they're on the right side. But yet their actions prove otherwise. So you and I don't want to do that in this last day. And I'm going to tell you why. Because how many of you know that if you continue to allow yourself to be affected by this world. And not live in integrity. And not live in what God calls a holy life. A life set apart to him. Well, guess what? Satan's going to take advantage of your life. What do you think is going to happen to believers that were once hot for God and now lukewarm? Have become foolish virgins, no longer wise. So I'm telling you more than ever, we need to be prepared. But it's not just about us being ready to get out of here. How about God using us like never before? Jesus' name. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now, if you'll notice, this is actually qualification for what the term used here in most translations is bishop, but it means an overseer. An overseer. The primary reference here in these seven verses would be to somebody like myself, who's a pastor, who's an overseer given responsibility by God to oversee the flock of God. But I want to explain something to you. We're about to read through what are really qualifications for myself, but a lot of people then exclude themselves from those qualifications. The truth is, every believer should want to live up to this. This shouldn't be like, well, the pastor needs to live up to that, but not me. Now, wait a minute. You know what your, you know what your leadership is supposed to be to you? They're supposed to be an example. You know why I show up on Monday night prayer? Not because I'm paid. Not because I have to. Because the Bible tells me don't forsake assembling. And the Bible tells me also that we're to pray. We're to be a house of prayer. You want to know? In 33 years as a pastor, guess what? Guess who still shows up for prayer times? I do. Guess who still shows up to come and study the Word of God when others are preaching the Word? I do. I don't go, well, they're preaching. I can stay home tonight, just stay home, kick, you know, put my jammies on and you know, kick my shoes off and just have a, you know, an off evening. No, I'm here studying like everybody else. Why? Because I need it as much as anybody else does. So leaders are supposed to set an example. But wait a minute. Don't look at that as set an example like that's them, this, this is me. No, an example that you're to follow. So when you look at these qualifications, don't just look at it like, well, that's just for leaders. We should all want to aspire to be what God created us to be. 1 Timothy 3.1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires this position of a bishop and overseer, he desires a good work. Now, I need to point out that to desire that doesn't just mean to desire to be a fivefold included, but also desire even a position of leadership as, a, as somebody in the church is helping to lead, whether that's an elder, whether that's a deacon, overseer of children's ministries, overseer of sound, overseer of nursery, doesn't matter. It's a good thing to want to be in a position to help others. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen. Verse 2, a bishop overseer must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now in that reference right there, you clearly understand that I have said for years, and I've even brought this up with pastor, don't get mad at me, don't throw nothing. I don't believe in women pastors as the true ultimate desire of God. This said a husband of one wife. So in the case of an overseer as a pastor, he just said husband of one wife. So I asked pastor one time, I said, I know there are some women pastors Is that God's ultimate desire? No. He said, I don't believe that it is. But I believe there are women who are submitted to leadership like myself, who they're in an area that, guess what? God called men to pastor those churches, and they wouldn't do it. 
they wouldn't fulfill it. So God is going to use somebody else to help them as long as they're submitted to godly leadership over them, another man in a position of leadership. And that they have others around them to help them to do that work that would fulfill that role as well. He said, I believe if they do that, God will ultimately deal with somebody at some point of a, of a, of a man to come and fill that position. So if you disagree with me about women pastors being the real way that God wanted to do it, read it again. As an overseer to be a what? Husband of one wife. <clears throat> so don't leave here and say, I didn't say women aren't supposed to be in ministry. Wrong. Even in the book of Acts, we have uh, what we know clearly as prophetesses in the book of Acts. Thank God for every single one of us doing what we're called to do. Amen. Notice this, they're to be temperate. That just means to be somebody who clearly is not out of control with their lifestyle. Sober-minded, so they're also in control of their thought life. Notice this, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. You can't be an overseer, obviously, if you're not able to teach people the Word of God. Verse 3, not given to wine. Now, I know a lot of people want to get on this and deal with this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it's like it always comes up. Not given to wine. See, well, you're just not supposed to get drunk there. No, given to wine here. How many know John the Baptist was, in the eyes of Jesus, uh, in his own words, the greatest preacher of his day? Do you know what the Bible told him not to do? Don't drink wine. That's the, that's the fermented kind. There's a difference between, again, fermented type and what the Bible just calls, quote, unquote, wine in some cases, which is nothing more than a type of juice. So they're not to be given to this wine, or in other words, clearly not dealing with that which is intoxicating, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not, not quarrelsome, and not covetous. Covetous, of course, is just you're caught up with stuff. You want things. You want this. You want that. Whatever. Verse 4. One who rules his own house well. Got to be good. set a good example. <clears throat> one who rules his own house well. I don't have to tell you to, to, to recognize this by simply asking her yourself. You can ask Kathy. Who's the head of your home? She'll tell you. She'll tell you. I don't let Kathy direct us spiritually. If Kathy, if Kathy tells me something that in my spirit I know is not right, if she tells me something that I know, I don't just bow down and say, well, we just want to keep peace in the home, so I'm just going to go along. No. Now, how you handle that is a key, right? You don't just turn and say, you're a crazy woman. We ain't doing that. That ain't going to, that ain't going to go real well. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, this is a big problem with a lot of men in the body of Christ. They're not spiritual heads. Many women are. You're supposed to be the spiritual head. There you go, honey. I hope you listen to pastor. Whatever I tell you, you're supposed to do. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible said to be a spiritual head. Amen. I'm not going to get into teaching on that tonight. So, again, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. That's a great sign that you're doing biblically what you're supposed to be doing in your home as a leader in your home. Verse 5, for if a man does not know how, and by the way, I'll just throw a side note in about that. Look at how great these kids are in our church. That's a testament to you, to you parents. Great testament to you parents. Verse 5, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, question, how, how will he take care of the church of God? If he can't do this in relationship to his family, he's certainly not going to be able to do it in relationship to a church. Verse 6, he's not to be a novice. So God's not going to put somebody as an overseer over a ministry who is very young in the faith, very young in their walk with God, who clearly is not prepared to do this work. Because I'll guarantee you what, it'd be one of the most challenging things you ever wind up doing. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Now again, this should these aren't just qualifications for an overseer. We should all want to live up to what these things apply to our life as well. And here's one of them. You should all want to have a good testimony among those who are outside. Does that mean you're going to be liked by everybody? No. Does that mean everybody is going to say all good things about you? No. If you live godly, you'll suffer persecution. What it means is they can't prove anything wrong about you because you're not doing anything wrong. Amen? So you got to have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. On your notes, number one, integrity is a must among church leaders. And even amongst church leaders, we're finding out today that's a problem. That's a problem. Our pastor at the Straight Talk this year said, 
you know, I'm, I'm glad our church doesn't know a lot about this because honestly, you're like me. I don't really pay much attention to other leaders. I pay attention to my leaders. That's where I focus my time and attention on. But it's amazing how many leaders just in the last two years have fallen. Big leaders of big churches. And pastors said, I'm telling you right now, by the Holy Spirit as a prophet of God, get ready. Because in the next handful of years, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be absolutely shocked at some of these ministers that are going to get exposed that have not been living in integrity. One of the biggest churches in America just had a minister who was now found out to have been having an adulterous relationship with a teenager in his church. Went on for years. She's now an adult in the church, married, and it was never dealt with or exposed. Matter of fact, she was shunned and pushed aside for even talking about it or trying to bring it up. And I'm going to tell you right now, this stuff is going to get exposed. Because the truth is, if that pastor had repented and done what was right and dealt with it, probably no, then he could have probably correct, but he didn't. He covered it up. So on your notes again, integrity is a must among church leaders, but I would say, what about believers? Just as powerful for believers. Amen? 1A, callings and even good desires to work in ministry, underline it, must be backed completely with credibility. You can't just have a desire to work in ministry. You got to do what? Back it up with credibility, a, a proper lifestyle. And you know something, Pastor talked about again at our straight talk. He said, I do this every morning when I get up, every time I go to bed. I ask Jesus, am I okay with you? Is anything Mark Barclay messed up today? Is anything Mark Barclay needs to correct today and get fixed today? See, we're not talking about you don't ever make a fleshly moment of a mistake. Credibility is you're willing to own up to it and get it fixed. And like the pastor I just mentioned, guess what? The problem is he never wanted to own up to it and get it fixed. He wanted to cover it up, hide it, act as if it never happened. And that caused great harm and damage to her still going to the church. And thankfully now, married to another man. And when all this happened, I watched the video. Pastor sent it to me. When all this happened, after he actually stood up, having to admit it because of the fact that it was now exposed by some other people in the church, he's asking the church for forgiveness. And they're like, well, why didn't you deal with this before? Why is it now all these years later this is coming out? And then her husband and her got up in the pulpit and talked about how they'd been shamed by the church how they'd never been offered counsel, never been given an opportunity to have any kind of prayer for them, to pray about this, to help them to get healing, to go through this. Nothing. Nothing. And I'll tell you what they did. You know, right after they got done with their little spiel, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't even slam the pastor. They just told the truth. They just said, all we're wanting you to know is the truth. We're not here to speak against him, harm him. We just want you to know the truth. And after the husband told the truth, he set the mic down and they said, we're out of here. And they walked out of that church. It, it amazed me how many people in that church stood up for the pastor. Wow. It really did. But it won't take long for that, sadly, to fall apart and be destroyed. We need integrity like never before, especially in the pulpit. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And this is why, you know, in relationship to your pastor... You know, a lot of people got to understand the significance of having somebody who you know God called you to and knowing that is my shepherd. You don't just go because it's the cool thing to do or everybody's going there or whatever. I will promise you, uh, you need to be where God planted you. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. 1 John 5, verse 18. Number two on your notes, you must keep yourself. Say, I must. Keep myself. Verse 18 says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Huh? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm born of God. I've sinned since I've been born of God. This is saying in the context of the Greek language, they're not doing so with the willful intention to want to do so and get away with it. If you're born again, your spirit does not want to live that way. I didn't say you may not live in willful sin because your soul is mind, will, and emotions. Your spirit man has no desire for willful sin, just like God doesn't. You listening? When it says here, we know that whoever is born of God, well, what part of you is born of God? Your spirit man. Guess what your spirit will never do? Guess what your spirit will never do? He'll never sin. What causes you to sin? Your flesh does. 
Your carnal nature does. So it is an absolute according to Scripture. It's not speaking of something in relationship to acts of what we do. Talking about your spirit man. That's why if we're governed by our spirit man, how much problem are you going to have with sin? Little to none. Galatians says that if you and I walk in the, in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So it says, again, whoever's born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God, say that's me, underline it, keeps himself. What does he do? He keeps himself. I want you to see this. He guards himself. And the wicked one does not what? Does not touch him. So how can the wicked one touch us? We don't guard ourselves. We don't guard ourselves against wrongful acts, wrongful desires, wrongful friends, etc., etc. If you do obviously open up to not guarding your life, then you open yourself up to the opportunity for Satan to take advantage of you. But what if you guard your life? He's going to have a hard time getting at you. Going to have a difficult time getting at you. 2A on your notes, to simply keep yourself means to what? First and foremost, maintain your... Maintain your... So let me talk about that for a minute. What do you think is the most significant thing to maintaining your walk with Christ? Excuse me? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you want to give me an answer. What do you think is the most significant thing to maintaining your walk with Christ? Raise your hand if you have an answer. Joshua. Huh? Relationship. I agree. What else? Coming to church. What else? Prayer. What else? Word of God. Okay. What else? Leadership. What else? Being aware of God's presence. Okay, so all those are powerful in maintaining your walk with Christ. But guess what? They're useless without the key word. You ready? Consistency. Take everything that was just mentioned. I agree with all of you. But what if you don't do it consistently? See, the number one thing needed to maintain your walk with Christ, consistency. Right? Go right back to all these things that were just named. All powerful, all good, will all help you. But what if you don't do them consistently? You won't maintain your walk with Christ. So this is where most Christians miss it because they're not consistent to be in the Word. They're not consistent to stay submitted to leadership. They're not consistent to go to church. They're not consistent to read the Bible. You understand? Consistency. I mean, I, you know, I, I, every time I think of this statement, I always, I, I first heard it through Dr. Barclay. Gloria Copeland's made this statement years ago, and it's, and it's true. The context of what is really powerful for a Christian, listen, inconsistency lies the power. When you're consistent in all these things, let me help you. You're going to walk a powerful life as a believer. Guaranteed. So I want you to get this. To you and I to do what? Keep means to guard. For us to keep or guard ourselves, we got to maintain our walk with Christ. What's the key to that? Consistency. Consistently spending time with God in the Word. Now you understand, we're not talking about just showing up, going to church, and going through the motions. We're not talking about just opening your Bible and say, I read a chapter today. We're talking about fellowship with God. But do it consistently, right? The number one thing I see hurting believers' lives today, look around. Consistency in being in God's house. The, the reason being in God's house is so important is guess what is significant about being here as opposed to being somewhere else trying to go through this service. I'm going to tell you what. You're in an atmosphere where nothing else can interrupt. If it does, ushers are going to stop it. Number two, therefore, guess what's not flying through the air here? A bunch of wrong other aspects of wrong words, wrong influences, etc., etc. Amen? And number three, although you can do it in church and some get away with it, most people don't play with their cell phone and look at Facebook and do social media when they're in church. When they're at home, they do. I do it. Come on. When they're at home, they do. I have to catch myself. I'll be listening to pastor, our pastor, because I'm not going to go to Midland, Michigan every Thursday night. I can't go Sundays. I got a church to pastor. But I listen. I catch up with this stuff all the time. But I find myself, if I'm not careful sitting there at home, I'm jumping on my phone in the middle of a message. So you, you don't, well, you can do that here, but it's not as much likely you're going to do that here, come on, as you would at home. That's why the church environment is so powerful. To, to be, you also need to therefore do what? Stay in line with the Bible. Not just be in the Bible, stay in line with it. You know, basic, simple truth. Keep your life in line with Scripture. Keep it in line with Scripture. So that kind of goes back to our first point of how many people no longer humble in context of the definition are no longer walking in line with the Bible. What they once agreed to and did, now they're no longer humble, they're not teachable, they're walking out of line with the Bible. 
I'll guarantee you that's just going to hurt your life. Right? The Word of God is to be a lamp under your feet and a light to your path. And if it's a lamp and a light, guess what that means? You're walking in the glory. You're walking in the light. So if you want to not walk in darkness, just walk according to the Bible. 2C, do all the Christian basics, and here it is, consistently. Say consistently. Such as, of course, tithing, giving, praying, serving, worshiping, and forgiving. Stay consistent at it. Amen? I got a couple things. God always starts kind of speaking to me ahead of time about new series coming up. We got a powerful new series coming up on prayer. And it's really more about communication with God and how to communicate with God. And we got another one. We're going to study sometime next year. We're going to study all of the healing, uh, uh, all the healing miracles, all the healing works of Jesus in the New Testament. Now I'm believing for some powerful testimonies to come out of that. Amen. So we got to stay consistent in this. Say consistent. Real simple. You want to guard your life? Anybody want to guard your life? Keep yourself. What do you do? Stay consistent. In the things of God. Alright. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because if you're not consistent. You're going to get weak. Period. <clears throat> I thought about something that somebody was telling me the other day. And we were talking about a situation going on. And in their life and all that. And I said you know. I said how often do you uh, get to go back. And listen to the messages you missed. Oh I never do. In our, in our services. I said you don't. No. Don't have time. Oh, God didn't have nothing to say to you that day. I said, you realize you're missing out on something God had to say to you? God wanted to help you? You know how many times, I, I, you know, almost wish sometimes, I really do, almost wish sometimes I could just become the congregation and it would just be me sitting out there and we'll let you all come stand up here and pastor for about a month. Seriously, I wish I could because I'd like for you to see sometimes what it's like. Now, some of you get up and preach would know this, but I can't tell you how many times that I've had a message that I know God gave me that I sent up in the pulpit, and it's for everybody. Say it's for everybody. God has a word for everybody. But I always think of people that I know, this is really going to help so-and-so today. I know what they're going through. I know where they're at. I know what's happening. And I didn't develop the message for that. I'm saying once the message comes about, I'm like, oh, man, I know who this is going to really help. And guess what? They're not here. They're not here. I used to tell God, why would you give him the message if they're not here? It wasn't just for them. It was for everybody. But it's sad to think. And then they come back and now they want all your time in counseling. And they would have gotten so many answers had they just sat in church. And had the word there to be able to listen to. Could I get a better amen? 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises. So let's look at the promises again. You want to? Yes, no, maybe? Verse 16 of the previous chapter, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Answer, none. none. For you are what? <clears throat> Think about that. Who's living in you? Who's living in you? Look at the verse. Who's living in you? Read, read it there. For, yeah, the living God. Come on. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And be there, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from, because I'm to be your God, and I want to walk among you and walk with you. Come out from among them. Who them? Those who are of, of the world. He actually, in the previous verses, talks about the unrighteous. He talks about all the aspects of those who are obviously not walking like a believer. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will do what? <clears throat> Receive you. Look at verse 18. I'll be a father to you. Now listen, you, he is the best father you could ever have of anybody in aspect to your entire life. You know that. God is truly the best father there is. Question, is he, is he everybody's father who's born again? He's not. He's not. See, some of you are going to disagree with me. I already He's not. Because the phrase father means he's fathering you. He's fathering you. The book of Romans chapter 8 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you look up that phrase in the Greek, it says, Those who are allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them, they are being fathered by God. Is he fathering every believer? No. Is he the, the father of as the originator? Yes. Is he everybody's father? No. Because you have to submit to him. You understand? He's not going to force you to walk in relationship to him as a father. 
Because if he is your father, that means you're also going through correction, Amen. right? As well as instruction and discipline. And you recognize him as the one who's obviously helping you to walk out what you're supposed to walk out. Any amens on that? You don't believe it? I've taught on it. Go study it for yourself. But again, he says, I will be a father to you. Wait a minute. If you do what? Come out from among them. Who's he talking about? Those who are already born again. Those who are already born again. He said, you're the temple of God. So do what? If you are the temple of God, come out from among them. And I'll be a father to you. What if you don't come out from among them? He can't father you. If you're going to allow the influence of the world in the context of those who are obviously living in a way that's not right to to influence you, God can't father you. Really, they are the one that's fathering you. Notice again, I'll be a father to you and you shall be my... So this isn't talking about children of God. I've taught you this many times. There is a difference between... Almost every reference in the New Testament to what the Bible calls a son or a daughter and a child of God. The moment you accept Christ, guess what you become? Child Child of God. Does that mean I'm a son or daughter? Not unless he's fathering me. Not unless he's fathering me. Because the phrase sons refers in almost every context to being fathered by God. He is the one who is helping me to become what I'm to become. What if I'm not listening? What if I'm not going to church? What if I'm not... In the word of God. What if I'm doing my own thing? Don't tell me God's fathering you. Amen. He's about to prove this to you in the next verse that we're on in chapter 7 verse 1. I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, therefore, because he wants to father you, having these promises, beloved, they're promises. I said they're promises. Let us do what? Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh And spirit, perfecting holiness in what? Fear of God. What if I don't do that? Well, God's not fathering you. He's not fathering you. If he is fathering you, he is the one that's influencing your life and changing your life for good. Because you're submitting to him. It's no different in the natural. You can have somebody who obviously, husband and wife, they birth a child. There's a dad. There's a mom. But does that make him a father? Not if he doesn't take up the responsibility, in his case, to father them. But what if the child chooses to run away and not be submitted? He can't father them. Is he still their dad? Yes, he is. Is God still your ultimate father in the sense of the one you came from? In that, in that context of the word? Yes. It means also originator in, some, in verse, some verses. But is he fathering you? Not if you run away from him. How can he? How can he? He wants to. It's a promise. But to do that, what must I do for God to father me? Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, I must do what? Cleanse. Cleanse myself from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. I have a promise from God to father me. Therefore, having these promises, what am I supposed to do in response to that? Cleanse myself of all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Number three, you got to cleanse yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you by your own power cleanse yourself. It means there are things you have to do so you can cleanse yourself with God's help from things of this life. Because clearly God's going to empower you to do it, but not if you don't submit to him in a way that he can help you. 3A, cleanse yourself and don't expect someone else, pastor or a friend, to do it for you. You know, there are people who continue to just deal with the same stuff over and over and over again. And I say this all the time in relationship to those people. I say, so let's go back to what we've already talked about. Didn't I tell you to do this? Yeah. Now, what I'm telling, when I say, didn't I tell you to do this, where do you think I got it? So I said, doesn't, and I could, really could, I really should word it this way. Sometimes I do. I said, didn't I tell you that the word says you're to do this? Yeah. Are you doing that? No. Didn't I tell you to do this? Yeah. You're not doing that? No. Are you doing this over here? No. Are you doing that? No. But you want my help. You say you want my help, but you won't do you won't do what the Bible tells you to do to fix the situation. And then they go into, oh, but this and this and this. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We all could go into woe is me and all this stuff that's obviously not good, not right. How many want to get it corrected? Yeah. Then you got to do what God said. He's got the answer, but you're going to have to learn to do it his way. So again, you have to cleanse yourself. You can't expect somebody else to do it. And a lot of people expect their pastor somehow to wave a magic wand, pray a little prayer, and somehow I'm going to be fixed. No, you have to cleanse yourself. 
Your pastor can help you learn how to do it. But you got to cleanse yourself. So I got to cleanse myself. God said it, not me. It's in chapter 7, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Be, cleanse yourself from all what? Filthiness. Two things, filthiness of flesh, habits, sins, perversions. That's a whole different teaching on what you do to deal with that. There's a lot goes in with, in with that. You have weapons to deal with the flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. We, God knows if it's a stronghold or not, and he gives you abilities to break those strongholds. We also got to know if it's something that obviously I have at my reach, my disposal. What does Jesus say to do about it? You're to cut access to it off. That's what he talked about. He said, if your hand caused you to sin. So he's not talking about us mutilating our body. He's saying, if there's things that are causing you to sin, you got to find a way to try to cut access to that off. So you got to cleanse yourself from filthiness of the flesh, habits, sins, perversions, and B2, filthiness of the spirit. Now, I don't know of anybody here practicing witchcraft. Thank you, Jesus. But you got to include it because it's a part of what obviously is a filthiness of the spirit. But listen to the rest. How about new age? How about new age? Don't get mad at me. Okay? Don't get mad at me. There was a very, very, very famous book that came out. I'm going to say his name. It's not for the purpose of slander. It's to protect you. It's to warn you. It's public knowledge. So what I'm saying is not a slanderous statement. I'm not running the person down. I'm talking about a book they wrote. A gentleman by the name of Rick Warren. Anybody know who Rick Warren was? Pastor in California. I remember the first big book he came out with. What was the name of it? Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life. Now I'm going to tell you what. That book is filled with New Age quotes. Filled with New Age quotes. He finally admitted it. One of the top New Age gurus of the time frame in which we live actually got born again. People started witnessing to him, telling him about Jesus. And as they began to tell him about Jesus, he gave his life to Christ. He got born again. He lived in California, near Rick Warren's church. Rick Warren's church is massive, huge. So he thought, well, what church are you going to go to? Well, it's a big church. Why not go there? So he did. He started going to this church. And right at that time, guess what the hot book was? Purpose Driven Life. So he goes and gets the book. And all of a sudden, he starts reading it. And guess what? His quotes are in there when he was in the New Age. His quotes about New Age. They're so close to the things of God in relationship. that's so deceptive to make it sound really good. But it's not Bible. It's not scripture, just new age quote. He went and actually finally sat down with him and actually in his office talked to him about it. And he said, what are you doing quoting my quotes in this book? He said, well, they sound so good. I'm just telling you what the guy said. This is the new age guy talking about this. And then Rick Warren later did admit that he put those quotes in there. And he said, I was really just trying to help people. For the sake of Rick Warren, I think he really was. But let me help you what you don't do. You don't use Satan's work to do that. I don't think he intentionally was trying to mislead anybody for the record. You understand? But I'm going to tell you right now, you don't need to be reading New Age stuff. You got the Bible. So to cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the Spirit would mean what? I don't read those kind of books. Well, how would you know if they got that in there or not? Why would you need to be reading it if he's not a spiritual dad? My spiritual dad's got more books than most of you would probably read in your lifetime. Better amen than that. How about false doctrines? What are false doctrines? Filthiness of the spirit. Because they are doctrines of demons, spirits, that try to mislead people. So we have to cleanse ourselves from false doctrines. We have to cleanse, cleanse ourselves from unbiblical practices and even bad company. Because again, Dr. Sumrall was an absolute expert on demons. I think what's so cool is he never saw one. You don't have to see a demon to be an expert. And I'm telling you, this guy had great insight from God, from the Lord, on visitations with the Lord about demons and how they work. Number one way demons work. Somebody help me. What's the number one way demons work in a believer's life? They use another person. They rarely come directly to a believer. They almost always initiate contact through somebody else that you know. Now, that comes from Dr. Lester Sumrall, who learned about how demons work. He got a witch doctor, a high, high top witch doctor in another foreign country, got him born again, got him saved, got him, got him delivered from all these demons. And after he started getting him in a position to teach him the word of God, he said, I want to learn some things from you about demons and how they work. He was blown away. 
at how Satan tries to mask himself through false doctrines and different things of what God does in the Bible to suck people in and then get them under the wrong influence of the wrong people, listening to the wrong people, and misleading them. And this is where he learned it. In the context of the, of the uh, teachings that he has, Jesus not only taught him, but even this witch doctor said, you Christians are so naive. You don't realize that demons who work with people influence people to talk to you and influence you. And most Christians get misled that way and they don't even realize it. They're just waiting for a demon to show up and confront them face to face. But most of the time, they won't work that way. He said, when I got sucked into witchcraft and, and demonology and all that stuff, no demon appeared to me wanting my life. Friends of mine who were, who were demon influenced started coming to me. And they're the ones that got me into the deception and got me misled. But thank God there's a way out. All right, C, 3C, uh, cleansing yourself. You got to perfect what? Holiness in your life in the fear of God. Does that mean you're going to be perfect in the sense of holiness in the context of never having a fleshly moment? No. If I really perfect holiness, what does that mean? I have come to a place where I'm separated separated unto God. How many holiness means separated unto Him? Where I'm separated unto God that when I know I do wrong, guess what? I don't fool around with it. I immediately repent of it and I correct it and I keep walking with God. Amen. So, again, you're to perfect holiness in your, in your life in the fear of God. See, one, Jesus made you the righteousness of God. Aren't you glad? Yes. You living out that righteousness it was, is what makes you holy. And so, I say it this way all the time. We don't do what's right to get right with God. No. Do we? No. Do we? No. We don't do what's right to get right with God, do we? No. Why do we do it? Because we are right with God. Yes. We don't do what's right to get right with God. We do what's right because we are right with God. And you know, you got to always address this. Don't ever feel ashamed or embarrassed because you've got a problem that you've been struggling with and not, 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 not know how to get free from it. Number one, don't try to hide it, hide it from God. He already knows. Go to him like a good father who loves you and say, Father, I need some help. I really need some help. I don't know what to do about this. But you know what? He does. And I'm telling you, what the devil does is he shames people to run from God. Go to Psalms 101. Everybody has times of struggle and things they deal with. Guess what the devil wants to do in that time of of your life? Isolate you. He wants to pull you away from help. And first and foremost, it's amazing that the very first person we should run to in our life is who? God the Father. Run to him. He's waiting to help you. Amen. I think of it just like when you're growing up as a little kid. I'll never forget, you know, in times of my life with my dad, when I did wrong, I knew I could go to him for help. And he would help me, help me understand what I need to do, how I need to correct it or fix it or whatever. I'll guarantee you what you didn't when I think, now our natural father's not this way. uh, Excuse me, our our heavenly father's not this way. You don't want to try to hide it from him because it's not going to help you. If you tried to hide something from my dad, then he found out it wasn't good. (laughs) But thank God, God's there no matter what. I said no matter what. He wants to help you, church. Amen. Uh, Psalms 101. Psalms 101, verses 1 through 4. You must have integrity also where? At home. At home. 101, verse 1 through 4. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Underline it. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. One of the greatest ways to help yourself learn how to walk in integrity is to begin to deal with stuff in your own personal life at home that needs to be gone. That for some reason you think in your home you get away with it. No, God sees it anyway. And all you're going to do is hurt your life. Been there, done that, in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, you can get free from whatever you're dealing with if you're dealing with stuff. God will help you. Don't try to hide it. Verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Because guess what? I'm not going to practice it. So the key there, verse 2, again, I'm going to walk within my house with a perfect heart. I'm not just doing this in front of believers. I should be doing it when I'm at home as well. 
So what that means, go to Genesis, if you would, chapter 12. What that means is you better make sure to realize, you know, there, how do I say this, Lord? There are people who think it's okay to have things at home uh, that they obviously would never have or be involved with or do in a way, obviously, that when they're around other people in public or other believers. Well, let me help you. If it ain't good around the context of them, it's probably not good in your home. You understand? So you got to recognize if there's things in my home that need to be gotten rid of, get rid of them. Don't let them continue to affect your walk at home because if you do, it'll affect you in some way even in your walk on the outside. Number five, if you have no integrity of heart, guess what? It'll plague you. If you have no integrity of heart, it will plague you. Let's look at an example. Watch this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 14. If you're there, say amen. Amen. So it was when Abram, notice his name hasn't been changed yet. So it was when Abram came into Egypt. Do you remember this? The Egyptians saw the woman, his wife, that she was very beautiful. Very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male, donkeys, Male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken, I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Why? Because all of a sudden he starts getting plagued for the very fact that he has in his own life no integrity. And because he does not have integrity, he didn't know what he was doing was wrong. Well, how would you know? If you walk with integrity, you're going to know times when you're doing stuff that ain't right. Even though it may seem right. Pharaoh had no integrity. None at all. Well, wasn't this Abram's fault? Partly. But the truth is, you're going to see in another example in just a minute that this same example happened with somebody else in Abram's life. But this man would have nothing to do with Sarai because the integrity in his heart would not let him. Something in his heart said this ain't right, but not with Pharaoh. Meaning when you walk integrity, when you walk with integrity of heart, even your heart will sometimes tell you this don't seem right. Even though it might obviously be in the natural looking like it's okay. Something in my heart tells me this ain't right. This ain't right. But no integrity of heart, it's going to plague you. Let's go over to Genesis 20. Genesis 20. And we'll see a comparison. Genesis 20 verse 1 with Abimelech. Genesis 20 verse 1. Now his name changed Abraham. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and dwelt between, dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and he stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham, verse 2, said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister, once again. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even, uh, and she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity, underlined of my heart, and innocent of my hands, I have done this. Different than Pharaoh. So he had integrity of heart. Pharaoh did not. Verse 6, God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. God's saying, if you don't do what you know is right in your heart, death will come to you. But I know why you didn't do what was wrong, because you do have integrity of heart. So even when you have integrity of heart, or excuse me, when you have integrity of heart, even when something might seem 
like in the out, out, outward context, it's okay. Sometimes you realize something ain't right about this. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 6A, Abimelech had what? Integrity of heart. Integrity of heart. 6B, in verse 5B, it says, Clearly in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Taken Sarah to himself, actually taking the time to start considering her as possibly having her as a wife. 6C, verse 6B says, God withheld him from sinning. Why? Because of the integrity of his heart. D, please note the difference here between God's dealings with Pharaoh, no heart integrity, and Abimelech, heart integrity over the same exact thing. See, God didn't tell Pharaoh, I kept you from doing anything wrong. Why? He had no integrity. Now, thank God God stopped it, but it wasn't because of the integrity of, a, of a Pharaoh's heart. But he didn't allow Abimelech to do the wrong thing. Why? Because he had integrity of heart. What does this tell us, Pastor? God will help you when you walk with integrity. God will help you. He will oftentimes protect you even from doing things you shouldn't do. He'll for sure at least reveal to you what is wrong and what you shouldn't do. Then the decision is yours. Hebrews chapter 12. So you and I, walking with integrity of heart, another way to say it, we get the help of God. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 12. How many of you know God can help you stop from doing stupid stuff? Integrity is what helps you to make that happen. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. You there? Now this refers again to the chastening, which the word chastening here means discipline of God. If you go back to the uh, start of these verses where he starts talking about this in verse 5, he said, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Because whom the Lord loves, what does he do? Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens or disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with. But what if you don't? Then you're not being fathered by God. That's the phrase again for sons. He said, if you endure chastening, you're receiving God's correction. He then deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom the father, uh, from, from whom a father does not chasten? Verse 11, no chastening seems to be joyful. When God's dealing with you through correction, through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, or through leadership. Primary way God corrects you. How does He do it? He doesn't use circumstances. He don't bring a tornado to knock down your house. You listening? God corrects you how? How does God discipline you? Word of God, Holy Spirit, Godly leadership. All through Scripture, this is proven as to how God disciplines us and deals with us. So if we obviously have chastening going on. It's not joyful. How many of you get excited and shout and give me all kinds of amens when God's dealing with you about something you're hearing preach that you're not doing? That needs to be corrected. Right? Needs to be fixed. Yeah! Amen! Pastor! Glory to God! Hallelujah! Probably ought to do that. You wouldn't give yourself away so much. (laughs) I've never had a time God has revealed something to me that obviously that was not a joyful experience, and I'm going to tell you why. It pains your spirit, man, to know you've done wrong. So it's not joyful. It is something that obviously is not something that's just a joy to us, but us responding to it brings great results. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Your flesh don't like it. Ooh, oh, man, come on. Quit dealing with my diet, Pastor. Don't talk about my diet. Quit dealing with my friends, Pastor. Don't talk. I'm not. God might be. I'm just teaching you the word. Go ahead and live on a diet of Twinkies and pray for healing and see how that works for you. Not going to work. Got to use some wisdom. Thank you for your amends about it. Go ahead and live in unforgiveness towards somebody that wronged you because you hate what they did to you. But all you're going to do is blockade God. Unforgiveness is going to hinder your faith. Notice, but nevertheless, again, afterward, what does it do? Oh, come on. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? Trained by it. Amen. Uh, notice this here. By the way, God can sometimes use believers to correct you. I don't mean like they come with you with a corrective word. They can just say something not even knowing. They just say something. And God's simply trying to use them to say, uh, would you listen to what they're saying? Because he's probably been telling you through other ways. So again, number seven, if you and I are going to walk integrity, let the Lord do what? 
Let him chasten you and build your character. Last word on it. Let's look at it from Jesus' own lips. Go to Luke 21 tonight in closing. Hallelujah. Luke 21. You know, if you obviously haven't seen it yet, I know you have. It's obvious in our society today, very few people want to deal with themselves. Very few people. We're, we're now into a generation of people that want everything done for them and everything given to them. They don't want to deal with their life. They don't want to deal with themselves. Now, I don't know about you, and I know there's different reasons for different aspects of why people are in this situation, but there's many times I've had conversations with people. I remember having a conversation with a guy standing on a corner asking for money. He was totally of right mind. He didn't see anyone crazy, what just as you know, nice as could be. We talked for a while. And I said, you know what? I could help you. Are you homeless? Yeah. You've got no place to stay. Well, guess what? I got a number here. I'm going to call these people right now. Give me your location where you're going to be. They'll come pick you up. They're a great group. They're a Christian organization. They'll come get you. You'll have a home, to, a place to sleep tonight, a bed to sleep in, and a warm meal. You won't have to stand out here and try to beg people for money and have a great place. Well, I'm not that bad off. Oh, he turned around and walked off. I guarantee you, a lot of people just don't want to deal with themselves and take accountability. They want somebody else to take care of them. If I can go stand on the street corner and bring in several hundred bucks a day, why would I go to work? I'll just let you work and keep handing me the money. And now we've got a whole host of people in America that want the government to keep doing that for us. That's why they want to vote in socialism. They think it works. They're not students of history. They don't want to deal with themselves. But believers need to. Luke 21, 34. 2134, Jesus said, but take heed to yourselves. Underline it. But take heed to yourselves. Can I give you a Pastor Barclay proverb? Yeah. Uh, uh, not a proverb, actually. A Pastor Barclay statement. They got a shirt out now. Uh, he, he was talking about this at the straight talk, and, and Trish held it up in the back, and he's like, what is that? He didn't know they had it yet. And she's holding it up, and it says, deal with yourself. Well, guess what? Taking heed to yourself is what? Dealing with yourself. Take heed to yourself lest, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. If you don't take heed to yourself, what, what in context really is, quote unquote, us going around carousing? It's just doing things you know you shouldn't be. Involved in things you shouldn't be involved with. Little aspects of what you know you shouldn't be done, doing with in life. What about drunkenness? Would it include alcohol? Sure. But the drunkenness really means here in the context of the Greek, intoxicated with anything of the world. Just intoxicated with it. Don't get mad at me again. See, I'm, I'm all, don't throw anything. Don't get intoxicated with food. But you don't deal with your flesh and you don't just give your flesh whatever it wants whenever it wants it. Don't get intoxicated with relationships. Well, you've got to have, oh, i got to have friends. No, you got it. Well, you have a friend. His name's Jesus. You don't have to have all these other friends that are hurting you if they're hurting you. I knew one time a gal in our church, sweet gal, loved her dearly. But you know what? She said, my problem why I'm not happy, Pastor, is I just don't have many friends. I said, you don't really know what true happiness is. You think you need a lot of friends? I said, let's talk about the aspect of what the Bible refers to about friendships. And what kind of friends you should have. And I started naming off what the Bible said about what type of friends you should have. She said, well, man, if I go by that, I won't have many friends. And I said, and you'll live a whole lot better life. Better amen than that. Now, that don't mean everybody's got to be perfect. But I'm just telling you to take heed to yourself means I got to do what? I have to make sure I don't get intoxicated with the natural context of my flesh to just give it whatever it wants. Because if you do... How about intoxication with stuff? Do you know what intoxication with stuff causes people to do today? Go in debt. Well, I only got a 55-inch TV. My neighbor's just got a 70. My 55's looking pretty small. I don't really have the money to buy it, but after all, I just charge up some more on the credit cards. I've already got a bunch of stuff on them, but after all, I've got to have that 70-inch TV. The game of all games is coming up Sunday. Don't think people don't do this, because they do. You know what that's called? Drunkenness. Excuse me? Yeah. You're intoxicated with stuff that you got to have it no matter what. Who says you do? 
Can I give you a lesson? Some of you see some of you look a little perturbed at me already. You're really not, are you? You're just kind of listening real close. Lester Sumrall said, you know what? Isn't it amazing how much money we spend to get stuff? To then set aside that same stuff. And then to have a garage sale to sell that stuff. Wait a minute. So we can go buy more stuff. He said, there's something wrong with this. Now, I'm not telling you it's wrong to just have stuff. But why is it we always got to have new stuff? Is it really because you just got to have it? I'm just quoting Dr. Sumrall. You want to throw him out? He's in heaven. He don't care. <laughs> but you know what? I agree with what he said. Christians could, Christians could learn to live on average with somewhere between 50 to 70% less stuff than what they have. Many Christians. Now, he knew it because he lived it. When he came back off the mission field, when they came back home, guess what he did before he left the, lands, the foreign land he's at? He, they gave everything away. He, he came back to the States. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a home. He just had the clothes on his back and the clothes in his suitcase. He obeyed God. And he gave all his stuff away. This is why a lot of people can't see God use them supernaturally. Because when he, having a nice car after coming home and buying one to drive, was told by God to sell it and give the money to keep five students in Bible college so they didn't have to go back home. He's like, God, that's my only car. I knew it was your only car when I asked you to get rid of it. I'm asking you to obey me and get rid of it and sell it because these five boys need to stay in Bible school. So he did. You listening? And within weeks, he was actually, I told you the story, he was in another, uh, he was in another city preaching for another pastor and he was there. Remember Gooch? Well, what did Gooch do? Gooch gave him a brand new car. Didn't know anything about that. He was a car dealer. It was actually during recession time. And he actually had all these brand new Cadillacs sitting on his lot. And he said, which one do you want? He said, what do you mean? He said, I just want to give you a car. You've blessed my life. He said, you don't need to do that. He said, I know I don't need to. I get to. Go pick one out. Here, here's a rag. They're so dusty, you know, because obviously nobody buying cars during recession day. Go out there and wipe off and find one. He liked red cars. He found him a red Cadillac. And he got him a red Cadillac. And the Lord said, I'd have never been able to give you that one if you wouldn't obey and gave that other one away. See, Dr. Sumrall was not caught up with stuff. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's wrong for stuff to have you. I'm talking about drunkenness. If you don't deal with yourself, you'll get intoxicated with stuff and think you got to have it. Are you listening? What's the other things? And you'll get caught up with the cares of life. If you don't deal with yourself, one of the signs that's true is because stuff will start bothering you. You'll start getting frustrated and affected and all of a sudden now have these cares of life get back on you because you haven't dealt with yourself and obviously kept your focus where it needs to be. And then that day come on you unexpectedly, say, not in my life in Jesus' name. So what do you got to do, number eight? Take heed to yourself. If you do, you walk with integrity. You'll live a whole lot better life. I said you'll live a whole lot better life. Now, don't go away from here. Please don't go away from here. So, Pastor said you shouldn't have a new car. You need to get rid of your new car. I didn't say that. I didn't say get rid of anything. What I'm telling you is obey God. Don't get intoxicated with the world. If I knew, seriously, Kathy can tell you, if I knew that I had something of a thing in my life that I felt like I would have to have, I'd get rid of it. I'd get rid of it. I told you my story, and I'll close with this, and I'll bore you with one of my bull riding stories again. When I was a bull rider, a part of why I pursued bull riding, little did I realize is I wanted people to like me and think a lot about me, that I was somebody that was really good at what I did. And that's one of the reasons I did what I did in bull riding. And because of that, when I actually won my very first pro rodeo and rode a very famous bull called Red Lightning, who at that time the highest score ever in the PRCA was on this bull called Red Lightning, well, I rode him at Lake Charles, Louisiana. I won the rodeo. They didn't give a buckle away there. And honestly, I, I wanted something of my first pro rodeo as, you know, a buckle or something to have as a marker or something of my first professional rodeo I won. I remember coming home. Am I boring you? I remember coming home and Charlie Sampson was staying with us at the time, 82 world champion bull rider. He would come in and out of our, of our place that we lived. We had an extra bedroom. He grew up with a guy that I was rooming with. He was actually working on a place in Casa Grande that he was fixing up, had moved from Dallas to Casa Grande. The house wasn't done, so whenever he was in town as he was rodeoing, he'd stay with us. 
I come home, I said, you think it's stupid if I have a buckle made? Oh, no, man. He said, take some of your winnings because you won't get another chance to have one for your first pro rodeo that you ever won. So I had this buckle made. Now, the maker of buckles back in my day of the national finals, the buckle to have was a company called Gist. These are not cheap buckles. And I wanted a Gist buckle. I knew exactly what I wanted it modeled after. Salinas, California is a coveted buckle that a lot of guys want to get. I actually designed it similar to the Salinas buckle, but it said Lake Charles on it. Very similar, though, to the, Lake, the Salinas buckle. I'm going to tell you why I wore that buckle. I wanted people to look at me. I wanted people to think I was somebody. And after I got born again and started walking with God and then got into the ministry, I'm going to tell you what, God showed me. He said, you still get your value and worth from what you did as a bull rider. Ask Kathy what I did with that buckle. Along with a bunch of others. I started giving buckles away. You know why? I don't want anything. Come on. I don't want anything to be something I hold on to that I'm finding value and worth in other than my God. Now, some of you were here when that buckle came back to me. I didn't ask for that. The guy that I gave it to, him and his wife, they put it in a display case. God spoke to them. They took a picture of mine. It wasn't the, I didn't have no picture of that ride, but they took a picture of another pretty famous ride of mine, and they actually put it in, that, in a, like a, what do you call that, a shadow box with the buckle, and they gave it back to me. And when they gave it back to me, God told me as I was driving home that day, he said, your value and worth is no longer in it. And that's why I returned it to you. Can you say amen? amen? So you got to realize you don't want to deal with stuff in your life in the sense of you don't deal with it in a way that you get rid of things that you're actually holding on to for you. I'll guarantee you what, if it's something you're finding your value and worth in, it's just going to hurt your life. Yes. Guess where your value and worth is found? It's in God. Amen. Stand to your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.